This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 1st, 2023 edition. And guess what? The first month of the year is firmly in the rearview mirror. And today we had the exciting Fed Day. A lot of volatility. A lot of people were prognosticating about what would they say. Everyone kind of knew what they would do, right? Quarter basis point increase. But it was more about what the next Fed meeting would look like. What policy would look like going forward. And so many people were trying to fade this move. Saying, hey, it's rallied too much into the Fed meeting and we're going to sell the rally. And what often, while often that is a common occurrence in markets, right? Buy the rumor, sell the news type of event. We had a bit of a different backdrop. Part of it is people are still not positioned very aggressively across the markets. If you think about how bearish people were in October and then tax loss selling in December, People came into the year underinvested, underweight equities. And then you have liquidity just flowing back into economies. Partly from the Bank of Japan, no, excuse me, not Bank of Japan, Bank of China. Bank of Japan is part of it, where Bank of Japan is raising rates, that's weakening the dollar, and a weak dollar is better for asset prices in general. So that's one part of it. But the bigger parts are Bank of China reopening, reopening the spigots of lending. And ultimately, money is fungible. And when, remember, most people think central or uh, central banks create the money. No. Central banks do not create most of the money. Commercial banks create most of the money by lending out into the economy. Remember, it's a fractional reserve banking system, whether it's here or in China. Or really across the world. So when the Chinese government says to their banks, hey, go lend, they're creating currency. And currencies flow throughout the world. And here in the U.S., have the debt ceiling. And I don't see any notion that this debt ceiling is going to be raised anytime soon. Right? Janet Yellen talks about we can do this until May, June time frame. And keep drawing down the Treasury General account, which is the checkbook of the of the Fed. And what that's doing every time they go and spend, that's just dollars that were sitting on the balance sheet of the Treasury and pushing that into the global economy. So you go look at the chart of the dollar, the dollar is down. And it continues to stay down. It was down again today. So these are the idiosyncrasies that happen on a short-term basis in the market. Liquidity typically drives short-term price moves. And that's why a lot of times people are dumbfounded 
you think, oh, the economy is slowing, and the economy is slowing. Look at the economic data. We are roughly stall speed, maybe slight growth. And all of the Fed tightening policies over the last, oh, seven months or so have not been fully felt in the market, right? It takes six, nine, 12 months for all those moves to be felt. So that's why for a lot of people, it can be confusing saying, hey, we're sliding into a recession. And I probably agree with that. But that's not the only story. It's not the only thing that drives markets near term. Now, long term, obviously, earnings are going to be a big part of that. And it's one of our main focus points, which we're going to get to. But these are perspectives that you need to understand so that you're not on the wrong side of the market at the wrong time, chasing headlines. You're understanding the plumbing. You're understanding why things are moving. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm here on today's radio show and program is to help you develop and maintain consistent portfolio strategies that fit your goals and your risk tolerance level and to help you make consistent, these strong decisions with your money. Whether that's investing, saving, or spending. So I look forward to your Invest Talk phone calls today. And you can call anytime, 888 chart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also talk to us live from 4 to 5 Pacific time each weekday as well. So I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is my main focus point in regards to, will the markets be able to overcome rising rates and falling corporate profits? So we're going to look at that profile there. There's a high-profile short seller that's sounding the alarm. And I'm going to say why I think he may be incorrect. And there's a dead giveaway in one of his quotes, and I'm going to get to that. Now, time permitting, I also have some other other things on the docket. One is in the shale patch. What's happening there? And why that's those longer-term trends, the last decade plus in the shale industry, has not been, is changing. Let's just say that. Uh, so we're going to look at some numbers there. Also, is good news finally good news for markets? Is it because the Fed is stepping out? I don't know, but some interesting data on how the market is reacting to different economic news. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to discuss just the global economy in general. Are things looking a bit better after the first month of the year? What, what, what does it look like on a global level? Not just here in the U.S., but on a global level. So we're going to look at that. Also, have some voice bank questions ready to play for you. One is on railroad companies, and the other is on Samsung Electronics. And I also have some iTunes review questions as well. So, got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, we're taking your live calls at 888 99 chart. Let's take a look at the market today. We had a decidedly update, and it was a continued follow through with growth. Growth stocks had a very good day-to-day, large cap growth of about 2.1%, small cap growth about 2.5%, small cap value up 1.73%. So strong outperformance from that large cap growth space. The market as a whole up about 1.15% and small caps up 1.9% on the day. Fed raised rates by a quarter percent as expected. 
And really, I wouldn't say they were dovish or hawkish. And I think that's what really got the market excited or had the market rally was, hey, everyone was expecting for a hawkish hike. Meaning, yeah, they're only going to do 25 basis points, which is a continued step down from 75, they did 50 last time, now they're doing 25. And the market expects them to do 25 next meeting and maybe even the meeting after that. But that's a, that's a stair step downwards, right? From 75 per meeting, which they did for, what, three meetings in a row? Now they're at 25. And the thought process was, hey, financial conditions have eased. The Fed doesn't need to, the Fed rather kind of calm the markets down and be more hawkish. And saying, yeah, we could stay higher, longer, go higher, longer, uh, et cetera. And it's about that forward guidance. But their forward guidance was more neutral. And so the market rallied because the base case was a hawkish hike and we got a neutral hike. And so once again, when people are too positioned for one thing, only takes a small disappointment to that expectation for the market to move aggressively the other way. And that's what you saw today. So solid day in the market. I still think we have probably a bit more upside before a major pullback. And still keeping an eye on rhetoric around the debt ceiling. Start to get more inclination that there will be final resolution to the debt ceiling. I think that will be an impetus for a market pullback. But until then, liquidity just flows into markets. Now, this is Invest Talk. Steve Peasley, and I thank you for your participation and helping us achieve over 49 million downloads since we began. But we're moving into a quick break. On the other side, I'll take another listener question on Invest Talk at 888 chart In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. And along the way, you're sure to have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Thanks for your guys' show. Today I had a question on um, railroad stocks. I just wanted to get your overall opinion. I've heard people talk about them in a positive way, negative. I'm just looking to see what you guys think about them. 
Um, I have a few on my uh, screen here, CFX, Canadian National Railway, Canadian Pacific Railway, Norfolk, Southern Corporation, Union Pacific. Just if any of those are good investments or something that I should look into, or if you could just talk about why railroad stocks are bad investment based off of one of those companies. Just something to kind of help direct me on how I should be looking at these, if at all. I'll be looking forward to hearing your answer on the podcast, and uh, thanks as always, guys. Well, railroad companies are definitely not bad investments. They typically, most of them are very profitable and consistently profitable. They have a a monopoly on the routes that they own. And usually there's not a whole lot of cheaper alternatives. Especially if oil prices continue to stay relatively high, right? The trucking costs would continue to go up. So I actually like the railroads longer term, but you have to be very specific on which railroads and regions you're talking about, right? So companies like Norfolk, as well as CSX, they're mainly focused on the eastern part of the United States. And I think net-net, they'd probably be beneficiaries longer term of deglobalization, just because there's still a lot of industrial base that happens in the, the Midwest and East Coast. But when it comes to companies like Union Pacific, which pretty much dominates the Western United States, they benefited dram- dramatically from everybody or all these companies exporting production to China because they're the ones that were bringing it from the ports in Los Angeles and, and Long Beach, the two busiest ports in the country, into the center of the country. And so that's what you want to think about first off is which ones to pick, which ones are going to benefit the most from deglobalization, which ones are going to be hurt the most. But in general, they, are ten, they tend to be good businesses to own. Now, that's what I'm talking now, now, when I speak about all that, that's more medium to long term. The difficult part near term is the ebbing demand for physical goods. Talked about this for a while. Everything's mean reverting back to pre-pandemic levels of consuming services versus physical goods. Obviously, railroads don't move services. So people are buying more services versus goods. Net-net, that's negative for railroads. So once we get on the other side of this, and things fully right the ship when it comes to inventories and consumer demand, et cetera, uh, you can start thinking about buying those railroads that will benefit from deglobalization. Hope that helped. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love taking your live calls as well. So our number, it never changes and it never closes. This is Invest Talk at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. 
you, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. We're going to go to John. He's in the Bay Area looking at NVIDIA. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Good, good. You uh, own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I've actually been selling NVIDIA as it's been rising up, and I feel like it was, it was bought crazily after the market today. I was wondering what you thought about NVIDIA. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's getting an oversold bounce with a lot of the, the growthier tech names. I said this a few weeks ago. I said, you're starting to see a a bit of a breakout in the growth versus value phase, uh, near term, nothing drastic long term. Uh, but as people were tax loss selling, because they lost so much money on the names like NVIDIA, you know, there's some extra pressure and they got oversold at the end of last year. Um, now you're getting that snapback along with the better liquidity in the markets. And NVIDIA is getting getting that and there's short covering that happens a lot too. When things are down a lot, people get off sides the other way, they, they, they short the names, and then that turns into fuel for a shortcoming rally. So that's a, a lot of this uh, in the sector. So multiple factors here driving these things higher. Uh, now, NVIDIA still, I, I think you're correct, you should be selling it on this rebound. Uh, I don't know if you're shorting it or you own it, uh, uh, hopefully lower and, and, and selling uh, into this rally. But uh, the next major resistance is going to be right around 225. It's at 209 today. So I think there could be some more upside in the near term. But definitely want to be edging out of this or I don't know if you're, are you shorting it or are you just own it and, and selling out? Uh, I, I owned it, but I, I bought a, I didn't buy a lot, but uh, most of the stuff I bought was in the two hundreds and I started buying more at one fifty. but it seems that most people's price targets are around two twenty, and I like usually when it goes up above 200 or when it's overbought like this and it has a, I feel like it's expensive. So I'm thinking it, it may go back down in a month or so. So yeah, it is very expensive. It's one of those most overowned names in the in the space. You know, that's the issue here is there's we're still not we haven't gotten to despondency when it comes to a lot of the tech names. You know, this was a, a darling of many individual traders during the the boom times of tech, uh, and that has has rolled over. But look, anything you always get counter trend rallies, and so. In general, the weak, the weak hands haven't been shaken out completely, uh, but you are getting a counter trend rally. So, yeah, the the major resistance is at two twenty seven ish in that area, and that's where I would be more of an aggressive seller. What do you think a fair market price is for Nvidia? A fair market price? Well, next year or this year, excuse me, they're supposed to make three dollars and twenty seven cents. Now analysts continue to downgrade that expectation. Next year, they're supposed to make four twenty nine, bouncing back thirty one percent. Also, analysts are downgrading that. I don't expect either of those to hit those targets. Pre pandemic, they're making a dollar fifty ish. I expect it to trend back down towards those levels, especially as once again ebbing of demand for end products. And they make a lot of things that are now in less demand. Game consoles, for example. Look at EA's recent earnings. That's a proxy for what's happening in the gaming industry. Everyone bought, bought their gaming console during the pandemic. They had nothing to do. Hey, I might as well buy that new Xbox, that new PlayStation, whatever, which NVIDIA chips go into. And that gaming PC, which NVIDIA chips go into. 
So that's why you're seeing revenues last quarter down 17%, earnings down 50%. So if this is going to trend back to two bucks, it's at 100, over 100 times forward-looking earnings. So I expect this to go down sub 100. Sub 100, probably closer to 60. That's my target. That's where I would say, okay, starting to get interesting. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Chris in Florida looking at CGAU. CGAU. Yeah, hey, Justin. I was looking there at um, Sentara Gold. I got a small position. Um, I just bought it because I figured it was – I wanted to get in the precious metal space, um, and I liked what I saw. If the data that I saw was correct, they've been growing their dividend kind of consistently. Um, I was just wondering what you thought of the company. All right. This is Sentara Gold, and this is a gold and copper miner. I mean, the, uh, it looks like a gold miner out of Canada. They do have gold properties in Asia and in some other markets. So fairly well diversified, even though they're still pretty small, $1.5 billion market cap. Let me look at their dividend. 50 or five cents, excuse me. Yeah, see, they grew their dividend in 2020. They doubled it, but it's basically tailed off. It's actually shrank the last uh, last quarter slightly. Uh, probably a lot of that has to do with foreign currency changes. Remember, it's a foreign a domicile company. So uh, when the Canadian dollar moves, then their ultimate payout of their dividend is going to move a little bit as well. Luckily, the Canadian dollar is relatively stable compared to most currencies. Uh, but that's what you're seeing there. Uh, this is not a dividend grower. It is supposed to make 43 cents next year, which puts it uh, about a 15, 16 times multiple, which is fine. Not my favorite play, but uh, an aggressive play to say that. So if you're looking for a very aggressive uh, move in the oil or in, it's not the oil, in, the, in the precious metal space, this is the name for you. Small cap, very volatile earnings. Uh, but if gold prices continue to go up, their earnings are going to go up very fast. So, but don't expect it for a huge dividend increase. Now, the next invest stock the story behind this question: How long will it take the market to recover? See, we get to that story tomorrow. But I'm taking your calls now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats 
with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. We're going to go to Santa Clara. Sorry, Santa Clarita. Talk with Richard. He's looking at EA. Hi, Justin. Hi, you looking at electronic arts? Yeah, I'm just we're getting the getting the music there. I'm waiting for the music bed there. There it goes. <laughs> uh keeps coming on. Hey, uh, uh actually I have two questions. One about the stock and also uh, a general portfolio investment question also. Okay. So, uh Well, why don't ask, you uh, why don't you go with the portfolio question and then we'll dig into the stock. Okay. Uh from Invest Talk, I've always heard that uh, ideally uh, for uh, diversification, each stock should be roughly about 3% of your portfolio. You, know, you don't want to go more than 5% typically on any given stock. So assuming that 3% was what you were looking at, ideally that would be about 33 stocks uh, to manage. Uh, yes. Like that would be kind of a, you know, that would Roughly, be a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Uh, my question is, if uh, instead of uh, having each stock being 3%, if you had each stock uh, be 1.5% uh, of your portfolio, so let's say you had 66 stocks, and mm -hmm. just assuming you know all the stocks were pretty comparable in terms of quality and mm -hmm. uh, progress and stuff, would that be a, a bad situation to have managing 66, at, at, you know, versus 33? And, you know, maybe one stock would be 3% or 4%, another would, you know, be less yeah. than that. But yeah. typically, uh, 66 versus 33, you'd, you'd have more diversification, but it'd be a heck of a lot more work. Yeah, in, and that's the latter part uh, definitely is, is correct. Uh, it's... You really need to know your positions and why you're in them and having 66 different names and being on top of that can it's difficult for a professional uh, it's even more difficult for an individual uh, now that when it comes to diversification the statistics say once you get over about 25 different names and as long as you're not over too overweight any one particular sector more than you know 20 25 percent in one sector uh, then you are fairly well diversified from the individual risk of, uh, of uh, positions. And so that's why to us, a sweet spot is kind of in that 25 to 40 range in there. Um, that's probably, that's the number of positions we typically hold uh, in, in a strategy. Uh, and so that's what we recommend uh, having 66. Sure. It's fine, but it's just over diversification really no need for that you don't get additional benefit for having more positions it just becomes harder uh to do and you know instead of having you know the top maybe three your three favorite in a sector now you have the top six and you know that might blend out to overall a worse worse return over time um so i rather 
have just enough diversification to get the benefits of diversification, but not be so spread out that you can't really track the positions and know what's going on with them. All right. right. Now let's that's look at electronic. Good. I was going to say that's not to say once in a while you may do a spec stock or something at one percent or one and a half. Yeah, I mean you can you can always yeah we're talking about core strategy. There's always you can always take some flyers here and there, um, but you're talking about you know significant allocation. Um, now let's look at Electronic Arts had earnings out. Uh, I think it was after the bell or maybe this morning, uh, but or after yesterday's bell or this morning. I'm not sure, but it definitely moved down big today, down about nine percent. And this feeds into kind of the Nvidia story, which is people are spending less on gaming. Why? Because they're maybe having to go back to the office and they don't have time to game as much. Um, think of adult gamers. Students are back in classrooms completely, so less time there. And uh, just more time traveling, so less time just sitting at home. They Their business boomed during the pandemic. They made nearly five bucks in 2020, four dollars and 25 cents in 2019. And last year, supposed to make six or six dollars and 14 cents. So earnings were up roughly 50% in just three years. That's pretty big for a pretty big bellwether within the gaming industry. $32 billion market cap. And this is a name that we have owned in the past, so we like it, but we have sold it as a, many months ago. But we, I think it's the name to have in your watch list. But I want to wait for the earnings to level out. Last quarter, revenues are up 5%, and earnings were down 13%. So I don't see any reason to jump in front of a train that is in stall speed, maybe even reverse. And the chart continues to make lower highs, lower lows. So no reason to jump in right now. So a name to have on your watch list, definitely a good name, but I'm passing on it for the time being. Thanks for the call, Richard. Let's go to Kevin in the Bay Area looking at Ambev. Ambev, A-B-E-V, V. Beer and uh, yeah. soft drink producer out of brazil mm -hmm. correct yeah i have a i have a small position in it and uh i'm a little, i'm interested at these levels as it continues to go on this most recent downtrend to maybe add a little bit more the, so why do you like the fundamentals are well the fundamentals are a bit of a, a mixed bag the, the dividend seems uh good and and uh safe and their profit margins keep keep declining which isn't great um, but from like a, te a technical perspective, it seems to just be trading in this, you know, 20% range for the past two years or so. Okay. So you're, you're correct. It is basically trading in a, a broad trading range. Let's go, let's zoom out to, to a monthly chart. Yeah. I mean, it did rally pretty big, uh, from the lows 2009 to a high in 2013, right around 10 bucks. And it's been in a downtrend really ever since, but has been trading since the start of the pandemic, basically between two and three fifty, two dollars and three, two dollars and three dollars and 50 cents. So in that range, but if you look longer mm -hmm. term, that's just a, what they call a bear flag. Technicals are not good longer term. And remember, this is Ambev. This is a Brazilian company. And this is in the epicenter of currency risk. 
And if you look at the dividend, you'll see why. It's vacillated between two cents and basically worth that now, 14 cents for the last 10 years. And that goes up and down based on their business prospects, but also the strength of the Brazilian real. Now the positive for the Brazilian real, at least uh, in the medium term is they're oil rich, they're resource rich. But the downside is geopolitically, look what's happening, right? They have their own fight over who won their election and it's getting pretty violent and their geopolitical, or sorry, their, their political volatility is quite high. And it's in a region that's been known to, you get too left of a candidate in and they start to nationalize assets. Now, often those are oil assets, things like that, but can be soft drink assets, beer assets, right? They're the fourth largest beer producer in the world. So I don't like the geopolitical concerns. The chart is not good. The dividends all over the place. So, and it's cheap, but it's cheap for a reason. And in fact, if you look at enterprise value, even it's 10. That's not really that cheap. <laughs> so the good thing they don't have any lot of debt, but they shouldn't because they're such a, in a volatile part of the world. So overall, mm -hmm. you know, there's some things to like about it from a valuation perspective, but I think it's priced that way for a reason. So uh, I don't see a bargain here. So I'm passing. Thanks for the call. Now, my main focus point concerns the story behind this question. Will the markets be able to overcome rising rates and falling corporate profits? And one high-profile short seller, namely Jim Chanos, had uh, some things to say uh, about the market. And he said on Fast Money, quote, I've been on the street since 1980, and not one bear market has ever traded about above 9 to 14 times the previous peak earnings. Basically saying, the market has to get cheap enough for you to find a bottom. And he thinks the market will not be able to overcome rising rates and falling corporate profitability. And that the market is pricing in Goldilocks. And he says the market is pricing in 12% profit increases, 2% inflation, and a Fed rate cut in the next six or seven months. And he thinks he'd fade that, right? That that's not reality. And I'd probably say, that's correct. I don't think corporate profits are going to go up 12%. But I think the market already knows that that's going to come down throughout the year. And frankly, if we avoid a profit recession, I think that would be net-net, a positive based on what everyone was expecting, right? The, the sentiment in October, how bad corporate profitability would get. So you can eke out some growth this year. I think net-net, that's a positive. There's a lot of room for those expectations to come down before it really hurts the market dramatically. And he says the market's expecting 2% inflation. That's true. That market's expecting inflation to get down to about 2%. I think that's where the issue will probably lie is that inflation won't get all the way down to two, that it will start to become sticky at a certain level. Is that 5%, 4%, 3%? Not sure. We'll see. But I think that's probably his best argument. And that would cause the Fed to not cut rates by the end of the year. I think that's 
the most prescient argument. But the cheapness argument, I don't think holds water. And it goes back to him saying, I've been doing this since 1980. Well, you've been in an environment of globalization. In the 80s, it was Japan, right? Outsourcing all of our, our production to Japan. Remember, Toyota was going to take the entire car market. And then it was China once they joined the WTO. Well, now all that's reversing. You're having a stickier inflationary environment, which means prices are relatively higher. And remember, inflation is generally good. When you're talking about multiples and earnings per share, that is on a nominal basis. That's not adjusted for inflation. So while you can have a recession, which is negative real GDP growth, nominal continue to go up, meaning that corporate profits can continue to rise or stay steady. And so valuations, while they were very overvalued 18 months ago, they can correct in two ways. You can correct in price, which you got a lot of last year. And you can also correct in time, meaning earnings maybe slightly go up, but the market kind of vacillates and, and chops, which I think that will mainly be most of this year. So it can correct in time. So that's my biggest argument with, with his is, hey, yes, you are used to this very low inflationary environment, but in a, in a modestly inflationary environment, that's generally good for equities because profit margins generally stay the same. And everything's worth, you know, everything's selling for more. That's what inflation is, right? So that's my biggest argument with Jim Chanos and why him calling for between 1,800 and 2,800 in the S&P, I don't find that too realistic. Now let's keep things moving and swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for this question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, uh, Dave from Ohio. I, I love the show. I'm calling in today about Samsung Electronics. Uh, the symbol is SSNLF. Uh, it took a big hit today because of earnings. And I was just seeing if this is, could be a buying opportunity. Uh, I'll be listening. Thank you. All right, we're looking at Samsung Electronics. And this is a giant company. Revenue, trailing 12 months, nearly $250 billion. Billion with a B. Turn equity right around 14% long-term. That's about average over the last five years or so. So that's good. Good balance sheet. Enterprise value EBIT, two and a half. That's good. Dividend yield, 1.3 with a payout ratio of only 23%. Cash dividend payout ratio of 61%. So ability for that to go up. Now the issue though is they make phones, they make TVs, they make a lot of electronic devices, which once again, demand is ebbing. So if you go look at a chart, it remains in a downtrend. But in general, like I said, I like them as a company longer term, they have consistent profitability, um, but I just don't like the current profile. So I'm passing on Samsung right now um, as their business continues to add. 
And we're heading into our final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give us a call at 888 chart You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, can I have your opinion on buying this uh, stock, UL, Unilever? Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Unilever, one of the largest producers of personal products, home care products, packaged food that owns brands such as Norse Soups and Sauces, Hellman's Mayonnaise, Lipton Teas, Axe Body Spray, Dove Skin Products, Tresemme Hair Care. They also own Dollar Shave Club, 7th Generation Cleaning Products. So very well diversified, consistent business, which I love those types of businesses. And they are based out of the UK. And the technicals are, are pretty strong. They moved higher throughout the months of October and November. I've been consolidating for most of December and January. And that's bullish consolidation. Now, is it cheap? No, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but I also wouldn't say it's expensive either. It's about fairly valued. So if you're looking for a very good business that's consistent, that pays a nice dividend, that's fairly valued, not cheap, but fairly valued. This is one. And the technicals look pretty good. So overall, I'm going to give Unilever a thumbs up. Now, lastly, let's touch on shale. And the fact that shale, the shale growth over the past 15 years or so, that made the world's largest consumer of oil and gas, also its biggest producer here in the U.S., that rapid growth is likely behind us. And it delivered a lot of stimulus to the global economy, keeping the price of energy low. And even in the midst of a lot of geopolitical crises in the Middle East, like the Arab Spring, for example, it kept prices relatively contained. Same with the war in Ukraine so far, right? Prices spiked, but they've come down to well, slightly elevated levels from where we were a couple of years ago. They're not breaking out. They're not at levels that are so egregious that uh, they're destroying economies like they were early in 2022. Now, the good thing is here in the U.S., we don't have to worry about the supply of oil and gas. But guess what? The rest of the world still does. And so we've been sheltered from these higher prices. And it gives our industries a competitive advantage. That's another reason why companies are onshoring manufacturing. It's not just geopolitical concerns, fragility of supply chains, cost of labor that continues to go up and up in places like China and elsewhere in, in Asia. But it's also cheap energy. Remember, China imports about 80% of its energy. So they're 
highly exposed to higher energy prices. As opposed to here in the U.S., not nearly as much. And there's also left households more disposable income to spend on other things. That was another reason why people had a lot of money during the pandemic was they were sitting at home. And when they did drive, the price of gas was very, very low. And a lot of this is reversing. Why? Because of labor shortages within the shale patch, as well as just increasing increasing costs in general. And even though crude oil is still over $80 a barrel, shale producers still fear splurging capital on new production. Why? Because they just went through a round of major bankruptcies. And do they have confidence that China's economy won't continue to sputter? And will Russian oil exports remain robust or will they backslide? So far, they've maintained relatively robust. And the demand for oil continues to go up. The IEA says we're going to reach another record high of 102 million barrels in demand this year. And so... What the Bakken area in North Dakota, that one uh, was a big grower of uh, output during the shale boom. Now it's basically flat in growth. And so the era of just high production within the oil patch here in the U.S. and high production growth is just behind us. Expect to only have a 2% increase in oil production this year, which is why you're likely to continue to see higher oil prices, and those that have already installed wells that are producing are going to benefit from that. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. It helps raise our profile and spread the word. We've now crossed over the 49.4 million down mark, download mark thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.